Dear Heavenly Father, um, I'm thankful that you've brought each and every one of us here this morning and that you have a special message to speak to us, not only through this presentation, but by all of the presentations that have been put together. And Lord, we're told in the spirit of prophecy that because the enemy is alive on this earth and he has seen what I have put together, and he has also seen the things that each person here has been struggling with, he will do all that he can to distract in the very moment that the information that is being presented um, is needed the most. And so, Lord, I pray that he would not be permitted to come here, but um, Jesus, who has already won the victory on the cross, would be in control, and that um, only holy angels from heaven would be permitted in this room, in this building. I pray for all of the people who are in this hotel and, and working in this hotel who don't know you, Lord. May they see you in us this weekend, and may we be a witness to those around us. Lord, this morning, as we look at the topic of victory over sin and abiding in Christ, Lord, I pray that you will speak to us maybe things that we've heard before, but in a way that's different, that we haven't heard them in a way that we haven't heard them before. And Lord, I just pray that for each and every person here, you will make these concepts tangible to them, something that they can grasp, that they can feel, that they can see, that they can understand. And um, may you be glorified, Lord. May Jesus be the center of every word I speak. And um, may he be seen in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, we're going to be looking at um, victory over sin and abiding in Christ. And we, we hear that all throughout our lives, and we know that we need that. But what exactly does that mean for me? How does that apply for me in my life, in my journey? Uh, well, I left off yesterday at the point of my baptism, and I talked a little bit last night how God has uh, brought me into full-time ministry now um, and how he's led me all the way in that. But he's also led me forward in the maintenance of the victory that he established for me at that baptism uh, or before that baptism. So let's go ahead and dive right in. You know, like I said, I had given my heart and life completely to Jesus. And I said, Lord, in the victory that you have established me in, I need you to keep me because I've, I've made promises to myself before and I know that I can't keep those promises. And I made a new covenant with the Lord and, and asked him to move me forward in that purity. So for those of you who weren't here uh, yesterday to hear that, I had um, wore a white dress all day before my baptism and a red dress all, or excuse me, a red dress all day before my baptism and a white dress all day after my baptism to symbolize that cleansing that God had given to me. And so some people say, how? How can this kind of a transformation take place? How can something of this magnitude be maintained when I, in my life, have continued to return to the sins that I have confessed and repented of? Um, and I can tell you that it's only by the power of God. And that's what we've been looking at here. Righteousness by faith means that only God can establish and maintain that kind of a victory. And so now, as we're moving forward we realize that a, a butterfly cannot bring forth that amazing transformation of going from, from caterpillar into the chrysalis and being totally reformed into a whole new creature, right? He, he cannot 
in any way, shape, or form make himself into a butterfly. All he can do is submit himself to the work that God is doing. He has to, he has to lay himself down in that position of surrender and allow the Lord to, to pull his skin off and recreate him from the inside out. And then he becomes what God intended for him to be. And this is the process that we're entering into in righteousness by faith. And his very nature now being a butterfly, a creature that no longer creeps on the earth but flies in the air, his very nature is the evidence of the fact that he has made that surrender and he's continued in that surrender until that transformation was complete. (coughs) And every point that I came to have victory on in my life came as a result of having a new perspective. So I'm going to ask you now, what do you see when you look at this photo? Don't be shy. Yes, so some people see the faces and some people see the cup, right? And some people will see one and not see the other until it's mentioned. Some will see both at first. But once you've seen both of the images, I think you can't unsee them. They're both there and they're both um, recognizable to you, even if they weren't at first. And I think that this shows that God created our minds to function in different ways. While I might see the faces and you might see the cup and we might not see it from each other's perspective at first, you know, God gave us different perspectives and different um, enjoyments and desires so that everything gets done, right? Um, But he desires for us to come to see things from his perspective, and as I obtained the, the perspective of God, when I came to see the things in my life from God's perspective, when I came to see my sin as sin and something that was only injuring me and that I needed to be free from, only then was he able to move me forward into the process of, of being liberated from that. Only when I saw how I needed to be free from this thing and that I couldn't hang on to the love that I had for it, Was he able to move me forward into this relationship with Jesus? And so here's an example of one of those things that God gave me a a new perspective on, a paradigm shift, right? I had become a Christian and I was sitting there and I was thinking, you know, I'm going to go read the the commandments. You know, we're, we're familiar with the commandments, but how often do we just sit down and read them, right? So I decided I was going to do that, and I'm reading in the, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, right? And, and this thought process came into my mind. It says, Danielle, you've been, you've been putting the emphasis in the wrong place. Because so often we look at the commandments and we see, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And we put the emphasis on the not, right? But God desires for us to see the emphasis in a different place. Because God wants us to realize that we shall not kill. We shall not steal. We shall not lie. We shall not commit adultery. We shall be free from these things that are injuring us, that are separating us from him. And when we start putting the emphasis on the shall, then the commandments aren't just rules to keep us from the things in life that that I should be able to practice as a human being. No, now we see that God is issuing these as liberating statements, as promises that we can be free from these things that beset us. 
in this world that is so damaging to us. And as we we start to see the things in our life and conviction comes in as we realize that these things are injuring us, they're injuring those around us, and, and they're injuring Jesus. They're injuring God who has poured out his whole life and everything within him to, to give us that promised victory. That, that gives us conviction. But you see, when, when we live in this world that teaches us to live by our feelings, swallow your heart, listen to your heart, let your heart decide, we don't want to, we don't want to submit to that conviction that, that hurts. I met with a girl a few weeks ago. She was 16, and she had been abused by someone in the church, and as a result, she had come to be really confused about her sexuality. And she had started a relationship with one of her girlfriends, and we were just talking. And I said, do you believe in the Bible as true and real? And she said that while she hadn't experienced Jesus as something that was real in her heart and in her life, she did believe that the Bible was true. So I said, how would you feel about just us looking at some of what the Bible has to say about same-sex relationships? And she says, sure, we can do that. So as I started to read some of the the verses with her in a very non-threatening way, and I had opened up my history to her so she knew where I was coming from, I just opened up the scriptures and we looked at them together. And she was like, wow, I have never seen that before. I did not know that was in the Bible even though she had been going to church for a long time, right, before she had, had um, been abused and stopped going. And as she saw it from God's perspective, and we went to Romans 1, and I said, let's look at the descriptive words that God uses to, so we can see how God looks at this topic. She looked at them, and, and she was just like, I could see in her face the conviction, right? And I said, how, what are you thinking? How do you feel? And she says, I feel bad. And I said, well, why do you feel bad? She says, I realize I've made a huge mistake. And I said, well, you know what's happening right now is God has created this safety zone within which we, we, can, be, we can be safe. And when we, when we go outside of God's will, when we exit that safety zone, we go into an area of life experiences that those things injure us. And so because of sin... God shows us in Genesis 3 that he had to bring thorns into this world, right? And so God has aligned our narrow path to heaven with a hedge, and he's placed thorns on that hedge. And what's happening, honey, is that you've, you've gone off the path. You're going the wrong way, and you're getting into that hedge, and, and you're being pricked by those thorns. And the world tries to teach us to, to listen to our feelings, and so you're going to want to turn away from God. You're going to want to feel ashamed. You're going to want to turn away from him. But you know what? You don't have to do that. This prick, this conviction is a gift from God. He has placed those thorns there as a gift to you to show you that you're going in the wrong direction and to show you that you can turn back onto the right path. And from that conviction, you can turn to God, not from him. So we run away from the convictions for a lot of different reasons, a lot of different reasons, right? A lot of different feelings cause us to turn away from those convictions. You know, we have pride, we have selfishness, we have feel, fear of failure. But when we, when we push through that conviction and we, we, we turn away from God because of that conviction, it brings a lot of other things into our life too. More shame, more guilt, 
sometimes even anger, restlessness, resentment, and it just causes this vicious cycle within us. So, so I hope that this can become vivid to you, that when you have that conviction, you can turn to God and not from him. And I think we've kind of covered this already in our talks. It's, um, Spirit of Prophecy says that no man can empty himself of self. We can only consent for Christ to accomplish the work. Then the language of our soul will be, Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. It is thy property, keep it pure, for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. Mold me, fashion me, raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere, which is where the rich current of thy love can flow through my soul. Let this be the prayer of your soul today. Let this be the prayer in our hearts every moment of every day to realize that in everything we need Jesus. And we cannot venture forth for even a moment without him. And as we are walking through this process of conviction and surrender and repentance, meaning turning away from that hedge of thorns and going back onto the, the middle of the path, the straight and narrow path, it's, it can be painful. It's not easy to experience that prick. It's not easy to pull away from those things that, that we've grown addicted to and dependent upon. It's definitely not easy. And it reminds me of how when I started to learn about gardening and and I would see how they would prune the tomato plants. He would tell us we would have to pluck off these parts of the plants. We, he called them the suckers. Pull off the suckers. And I said, you know, because I was all into energy healing and everything was energy and I was studying about auras and stuff at the time, it was like, but you're injuring the plant. You know, you're supposed to be caring for the plant. How can you, how can you be injuring the plant? And so I didn't understand it. Um, And the husbandman has to go out into his field and his orchard and he has to prune away the branches on the trees, right? But this did not make sense to me until I started to understand that if you have all of these unfruitful areas on the plant, basically what's happening is a lot of the energy is going to those extra branches, those extra vines, those extra leaves that aren't really going to render any fruit. So if you clip those away and you take away those unproductive branches, that means you're going to have bigger fruit, you're going to have sweeter fruit. And this is what God is doing in your life. He's trying to prune away the things out of your life that are unproductive so that he can make you more fruitful for the kingdom of heaven. And so if we can realize this, when, when God is saying, look at this, this action that you're doing, this thing that you're participating in, it's, it's casting a weight on the wrong sky, side of the scale. Because everything we do casts a weight for eternity, for, for God, or for the world. And he's trying to say, look, this is, this is on the wrong side of the scale. He's trying to help you to realize that by this action, you're becoming more fruitful for the world. But if you, if you go back to him, you can be more fruitful for eternity, for your own soul and for those around you, because you're not just impacting your own eternity, but you're also influencing those around you as well for heaven or for hell. So God was showing me. God was showing me from this very experience that I can trust him. 
that he only calls me to give something up if it means he has something better in store. Isn't that a beautiful picture? But you know what? We have to have, we have, to have that journey that continues with God, right? Because by faith... The people stepped into the Red Sea, and it wasn't until they stepped into the water that it parted, right? It was by faith that they were able to journey into that path across the Red Sea. But what would have happened if they, if they got to the middle and they said, Oh, praise God, he loves me just the way that I am, you know? And they kind of sat down and, and had a picnic there. And they just stayed there, right? What happened? Did it stay open forever? Right? The, the, the sea had closed behind them. That was what kept the enemy away. And so we have to continue on that journey over to the other side because the sea is going to close behind us. And, and faith without works is dead. We're told that in, in James 2.20. And so we do have a part to play, and we have to continue to walk forward. Sanctification is not gained by a happy flight of feeling, but it is a result of constant constantly dying to sin and constantly living to Christ. So long as Satan reigns, we shall have self to subdue, besetting sin to overcome. And so long as life shall last, there will be no stopping place and no point which we can reach and say that I have fully attained. Sanctification is a result of a lifelong walk of obedience. So this, this passage, it tells us that part of sanctification is obedience and that obedience is obtained through continual surrender to God's will and to his way. And we have to choose him in each moment that self arises and that temptation comes back again. Some people think, like, like I said yesterday in my, my testimony, I talked about how, you know, I, I uh, came out of the water in my baptism um, choking up water and said even when I'm dying, I'm still trying to live, right? Um, some people think that once they give their heart to Jesus, they become a Christian, that, you know, we're just going to be on that escalator to heaven and it's all going to be easy and God's just going to pave the way, right? But it doesn't always work like that because life is a battle, we're in a war zone, right? We're in a war to show all of the universe the character of God. The spirit of truth and light will quicken and renew us by its mysterious working. For all our spiritual improvement comes from God, not from ourselves. The true worker will have divine power and aid, but the idol, the idler, will not be sustained by the spirit of God. So our spirit, our part is to respond to the evidences of God in our life and to cooperate with him on the journey home. You know, the hiker's guide, it won't get you there, right? It won't, it won't make the trek for you. But it will show you the way to get to the summit if you will follow it, right? So our journey as Christians, it, it, isn't, it isn't an escalator, it's, it's a monumentous trek. It's a journey. It has highs and lows. It has, it has valleys and hills. And we might have to stand alone at times. But if we keep our sights on Jesus, if we keep our eyes on the prize, on the goal, then Christ will bring us there. He will keep us 
on the way. And I learned this while I was out at that health center and I was taking the seeds and putting them in the soil and watching them sprout and seeing this full circle experience, right? And I learned that the seed uses all of the energy contained within itself to create the two cotyledons. That's what those first two leaves are called. So the, all of the energy contained within the seed sends down the roots and pushes up those first two cotyledons. And then the plant starts to, the seed starts to gain its energy from the sun, and that's what causes the plant to grow through photosynthesis, right? And so we use all of the energy within ourselves to reach up our two first cotyledons, right? <laughs> and to reach out to Christ, and then that's how we receive the power and the energy to, to have the victory. So all you have to do is use your energy towards all the energy that you have to reach towards God. And in different times, in different ways, all that energy means different things. And for me on my walk, all that energy means something different to to an infant who's just learning how to walk, right? We're called to a higher standard as we have greater light. God is calling us higher. He's, He's calling us from glory to glory, right? Because he wants to manifest the perfect character of his son within us. That is the fruit that we show the universe his true character through. This is, this is my dad in his little vineyard. He doesn't have a, a vineyard. He has a vine. But this is him very pleased with his fruits. And um, I see a peace in his face as he's looking at this fruit and he's grateful for all the efforts that he's put forward now to have a harvest, right? And so let's talk more deeply about abiding in Jesus, what that really means. Believe that you no longer need to live according to your feelings and old nature, but that you can live for what God wants for us. This subtle reckoning must happen not just once, but every time the trigger comes. Whether that trigger is a threatening situation, an enticing idea, an emotion, an impulse, whatever swells within us, every time that temptation is, um, every time we are tempted to and indulge in old habit, we must recommit our lives and repurpose in our hearts at that moment that we are a new creature and that Jesus will see us through. As we persistently continue in faith to deny the old response and practice the new healthy one, the day will come when that old ungodly habit will have been phased out of our life. It has been overcome and replaced by a Christ-like habit that will never need changing. Isn't that a beautiful promise? That's from the book Biblical Response Therapy, and it's by Dan Gabbard. And it's a really good resource for anyone that is really wanting to know how to Uh, Respond like Christ in earth's um, situations. That's biblical response therapy by Dan Gabbard. And as we're entering into this process of, of responding in a new way every time the trigger comes, we're actually creating a physical rewiring within our brains. Science has shown that the, the neurotransmitters in our brain that we use They become strengthened. It's like a muscle. Every time we use that neurotransmitter, that neuropathway, it becomes strengthened. But every time we cease to use that pathway, it becomes less, more weak. It becomes more and more weak. And as we cease to use those pathways, they actually atrophy and die. 
Those neural pathways that we don't use anymore, they're dead and they're gone. So there is actually something physical happening within our brain, and that really helped me to understand why every act casts its weight, right? Because if we continue to indulge, we're not allowing our brain to have that transformation. And something else that science has found really helped me to understand this it shows that the average craving lasts about three and a half minutes. So that's average. Some last longer. Some um, are over quicker. But the average craving lasts three and a half minutes. And it takes an average of 45 days to create a new habit in your brain. So now I'm, I'm able to say, okay, this temptation is coming in, and I'm going to turn to Christ, and I'm going to abide with him, right? Can I spend the next three and a half minutes with Jesus? Can I do that? Yes, I can. I can. And, and if I know that if I do that every time the temptation comes in, within about 45 days, I'll have a new route established within my brain. Right? So this kind of brings the mountain that you can never summit into a molehill that you can easily step over, right? I can abide with Christ for the next three and a half minutes. Isn't that a powerful thought? I thought this is so beautiful, and this has really helped me to stay on the path of righteousness. Those who are watching unto prayer and searching the scriptures daily with an earnest desire to know and do the will of God will not be led astray by any of the deceptions of Satan. When I read this passage, it was powerful because it says we will not be led astray by any of the deceptions of Satan. It doesn't say some or one or a few or the ones that you're really aware of. It says any. And it shows us the part that we can play, right? It says watching unto prayer searching the scriptures daily and keeping an earnest desire to know and do the will of God. I think that this is something tangible that we, we can know and do and practice to keep us on that path. And I think that these are the kind of promises that we need to dig for, that we need to search for, that we need to read for. You know, we need to be searching the scriptures daily so that we can find these power passages that help us to know how to stay on the path and make it real for us, make it tangible for us. And as much as I encourage you to read the scriptures, and that's where our power is found, we also have been given a priceless gift of the spirit of prophecy. And, you know, some of, some of our young people in the church today, they're not really sure. You know, they've, they've kind of been beat over the head with Ellen White, and they're like, whatever, they don't want to hear it. You know, but when I started reading these, these books for myself, I couldn't help but know that they're inspired. There is something about these writings. They are so beautiful, and they're very vivid, and they make it tangible for us. They make it something that we can grasp, that we can see, that we can hear. She puts you in the place, and she helps you to understand. And, and for us young people, we have very special counsel that can help us be established and maintained on the journey of purity. Adventist home, messages to young people, letters to young lovers, and the compilation testimonies on sexual behavior, adultery, and divorce. How many of you have even heard of that compilation? A few. There's, there's a lot of you that haven't. You know, I, I didn't even know there was a compilation like that. She has given us a lot of counsel on these things. So, so abide in the scriptures daily and search the spirit of prophecy, and you will not be led astray as long as you have that earnest desire to know and do the will of God. Let's look now at how the act of violating God's law begins in the mind. We have to become mindful of our thoughts. 
It's easy to allow things to roll around in our brain that we don't even realize we're thinking, right? And, and so we have, to, we have to become mindful of our thoughts. And understanding the cause-to-effect ladder has really helped me to understand why this is important. And, um, you know, we have this, this selfish path that, uh, that we walk on, you know. And it starts with sensory input, because what we are exposed to sways our thoughts, right? And if, we are, if we're having selfish sensory input, then we are, we are being swayed by Satan's lies. And we can look at, at, at selfish sensory input as the seeds of Satan lie, Satan's lies, right? And then if we, um, if we realize that, our, that the sensory input guides our thoughts, and we can look at the thoughts as the water, the water that, that causes those seeds to, to sprout, right, to germinate. And then the thoughts lead to actions, and, and our actions are kind of like the sunlight that uh, cultivates the plants and, and, and gives it the strength to continue to grow, right? And then we have our habits, and our habits are like the flowers that show what has been cultivated in our lives. And then we have our character. And the character really is the fruit of the matter, right? And so if we have selfish sensory input, we're going to have selfish thoughts, which lead to selfish actions that cultivate selfish habits and bring forth a selfish character. And we're told that our character is the only thing that we take to heaven with us, right? So our character determines our destiny. And so we have to continue to dig up every root of unbelief. When the poisonous plants are pulled up, they cease to grow for want of nourishment in word and action. The soul must have the precious plants of faith and love put in the soil of the heart and enthroned there. So have you ever gone up to a plant and just plucked off the leaves and then wondered why the plant keeps growing? You can't just focus on the habit, the habit, the habit. You have to go back to the root. You have to go back to the sensory input and the thoughts that you're thinking and realize that only when you, when you pull it up from the root will you really be able to experience that victory that you're hungering and thirsting for. You have to realize that you're not just in a physical battle of what you're wrestling with in your temptation. You are in a spiritual warfare. And there is a power working behind the scenes. If we could see all of the angels in this room, right? We don't realize how much of a battle we're in spiritually. So try and become mindful of that. Try and keep yourself realizing that you are in a spiritual battle and that this isn't just something that's right in front of you. You cannot allow yourself to believe the lies that the enemy whispers into your, into your mind because he's going to try and tell you, oh, you don't need to change. He's going to try and tell you, oh, you haven't changed. He's going to try and tell you, oh, it's okay in this instance, in this circumstance. He's going to try and get you to compromise, and he's going to try and cause you to, to reason through and justify what you're doing. But if it's something coming into your mind that is against the express will of God, you can know that that thought is not from him, it's from the enemy. And, and if it's from Satan, then you don't have to say, oh, my thought, my thought. No. 
You don't have to own that thought. You don't have to accept it as your own. You can say, this is not mine. I will not accept it. I'm going to leave it here, and I'm going to choose to think instead what the Lord says. I'm going to claim his promises that he has given in his word because what did God use to create the universe? His words, he spoke, and it was so, it stood fast when he commanded, right? And so when we start incorporating the words of God, the promises of God into our prayers, we are tapping into a power greater than we could ever fathom. (laughs) Constant war against the carnal mind must be maintained, and we must be aided by the refining influence of the grace of God which will attract the mind upward and habituate it to meditate on pure and holy things. So if we have beautiful, godly, holy influences coming into our mind, the sensory inputs from God, then that will plant his seed in our mind. And our our thoughts will water those seeds and our actions will be the sunlight upon those seeds and and our habits will show the flowers and our character will show the fruit of God's seed being planted in our mind. And that will lead us unto a holy destiny. So we're told that we must guard the avenues of the soul. We can't just become mindful of our thoughts, we also have to guard the avenues of the soul. We're told that we have to be well sentineled. And a sentinel is basically a a guard that stands watch. It's a soldier that stands watch. So we have to put a soldier at each one of the posts through which information can enter into our mind. This is a... um, This is a powerful quote here. You will have to become a faithful sentinel over your eyes, ears, and all your senses if you would control your mind and prevent vain and corrupt thoughts from staining your soul. The power of grace alone can accomplish this most desirable work. And you know, my vegan diet, it's not what saves me, right? Practicing the eight laws of health, it's not what saves me. And neither does dress reform or following courtship principles. Neither does abstaining from watching television or being very selective about the music that I listen to. These things aren't my salvation. But you know what? They are tools that keep my mind pure and clean. They are tools that keep my thoughts stayed on holy things. And, you know, God has helped me to realize that I can use these principles in my in my t- moments of temptation, whenever some, a thought comes in and I am tempted, I have to make a physical action. I have to get up and walk away from where I am and not just sit there and, and, and be in that same place. If I physically get up and walk away, it's easier for my thoughts to change. And I start claiming the promises of God and I go and I get a drink of water. And, and if I physically make an action, not just in my mind, but also in my body, it's easier to, to switch the path. And switch the track. And then if, you know, that that's not an average craving and that three and a half minutes isn't over and, and um, you know, I've, I'm claiming the promises but my mind keeps slipping back, well, I'll get outside and I'll go for a walk. I'll get out in the fresh air and in the sunlight and get some exercise and be out in nature and look around and say, God, what are you trying to teach me through your object lessons here in your storybook? And... You know, I'm probably less apt to act out in certain ways if I'm out in a public area, right? 
And then if I, you know, if I get out and I go, I take my Bible and I start reading those promises and I and I start reading in the spirit of prophecy. You know, I take I take a book with me and I sit down and I spend some quiet time communing with the Lord. And this is this is something that that has helped me you know, we can, we can use these principles because we know that they give us a clearer mind and a stronger will, right? So we can incorporate them into something that we can use. And it's not what saves us. It's not what sanctifies us. It's not what gives us our righteousness, but they are tools that God has given to equip us on the journey home. And so I just want to share something here um, that... God has really used to make this become a lot more vivid for me. And I'm just going to come down here to my closing statement because um, I just have a couple things to skip over there. But this has really, really helped me on my journey. Uh, my pastor, the, the one who baptized me, he... Um, He shared this with me. He says, you know, when my son was born and he started to um, get stronger and he started to kind of gain strength and he would hold on to the couch and he started to walk a little bit. And and then, you know, the day came when Kai took that first step out and he, he let go of the couch and he actually started to walk. And then guess what happened? He fell down, right? He fell down and he said, I didn't run over to him and say, Ugh, you are a hopeless cause. You'll never get it right at that rate. <laughs> what kind of a person would do that, right? You see that, that anticipation and that joy and that excitement upon that mother's face? What does a parent do when their child takes that first step? They rejoice, right? Zephaniah 3.17 tells us that God rejoices over us with singing. And that's what he does. When we take the step in the, in the right direction, when we make the effort in the right direction, even if we fall down, God is rejoicing over us with singing. And Proverbs 24.16 says that a just man falleth seven times, but riseth up again, right? While the wicked fall into mischief. Now, what's the difference between the righteous and the wicked? Right. Did they both fall? Yes. They both fell. But the righteous man continued to get back up and try again. And that's what God is calling us to do. And this illustration was made perfect as I have experienced the life of my little niece, Hadassah. When she came into the picture, she was only five pounds. She was, she was tiny, but she was perfect. I mean, um, you know, she... They were like, oh, no, she's only five pounds. This isn't good. Um, But when she came out, she was, I mean, she was full term. And we realized at the end of the pregnancy that she wasn't growing at the rate that she should have. And um, when she came, they they said she needs to come today. And when she came out, um, she was so perfect and the placenta was perfect. It was small, too, but it was also perfect. And they they didn't even do any analysis or anything. They were like, oh, okay, perfect baby. And, um, you know, <laughs> I, when I looked at that, that little girl and I saw her little fingers and her little toes and she was so tiny, but she was so perfect, right? And then as she started to get bigger and she started to crawl, she was still tiny, but she was still perfect. 
and she was making her best effort as she could. And Hadassah, when she started to learn how to walk, I have never seen a child who has had this much joy. When she would fall down, she would just belly laugh, and she'd get right back up again, and she'd keep on trying. And Daddy was right there to pick her up and help her back up again, you know. And that little girl would just keep on going until her little legs had no more strength to try, and she just had to physically take a little break. Um, You know, and this is the kind of walk that God wants us to have. He wants us to believe that we are, he is there to keep us from falling, to catch us. But if we fall down to just joy that the Lord is there and that his grace is sufficient and to get right back up and keep on going. And this year, Hadassah turned five. And you know what? She's still a tiny. But my Hadassah is perfect. And as I've seen her start to learn how to ride her bike, and, you know, she's learning without training wheels, and it's just a beautiful thing to see her progress and, and to, to grow, you know. And I love Hadassah, and she's always been perfect to me. But you know what? I don't want her to stay five forever. I want her to keep on going. I want her to keep on growing. And I want to see her become a beautiful young lady. And I, and I want to see her walk down the aisle and, um, you know, stay pure until marriage and have that, that one man that she's done it God's way and let him, him lead in their relationship and lead them together. And, you know, honestly, I'd rather see Jesus come before that happens. <laughs> but I am enjoying the process of watching Hadassah grow all along the way. And this is how God is rejoicing over you with singing. This is how God is watching you in your journey. And you know what? As, as we grow older and as we practice the art of walking with Jesus, and it becomes more natural to us, right? And we fall less and less often. If you tell that little toddler who's just trying to learn how to walk that someday you're going to do this every day and you're not even going to think twice about it, can you imagine how overwhelming that is in their mind? But now we do it every day and we, we don't even think twice. And every now and then we might trip and fall and we're like, oh man, it's such a hindrance. But we didn't realize that God was allowing us to learn how to become a natural thing to walk with Jesus and to reflect him and to have his righteousness along the way, right? So maybe today you just want to say, Lord, I want to enter into this sanctified walk. And I want to have a greater renewed faith that you are able to keep me from falling. Like like we read in Jude 24 and 25. He is able to keep us from falling. And all we have to do is enter into that praise with him and walk with him. And he's going to do that, right? So... If you want to just continue on that journey today, you want to say, Lord, even though I fell, even if it was last night, I'm getting back up and I'm walking with you. If you want to settle in your mind the determination to stay on this path and not press through that hedge of thorns into that that realm that will only wound you, I want to ask you to stand up. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, there's something beautiful and amazing that happens when we start to really see things from your perspective. Lord, there are these things that you have given to me in my life that have helped me to really see things the way that you do, Lord. I, I am grateful for it. And I pray that today, through my, my selfish and Christ-like self, that somehow a little of that was able to shine through, Lord. And Lord, I, I pray that today these people have seen something at least one thing that they've never seen before that has given them greater courage to stay on the journey. And Lord, 
Each and every one of us, as we have stand, taken a stand in this room to, to just continue this walk with you, Lord, we ask that you would bring these, these object lessons back to our mind in the moment that we need them the most, Lord. And we ask for you to bring those people in our lives that need these promises so that we can share them, these promises with them also and bring them to our mind when they need our prayer the most. Because, Lord, one thing that I didn't mention is that as we enter into the work of being the hands and feet of Jesus, this is when our focus is taken off of self and that we are able to to be more like him because he wasn't focused on self. And, and so help us, Lord, to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus so that we're not so overwhelmed by the things in our own world, but w- that we're, we're stayed on the path by, by experiencing these things in our lives in a way that we can share them with others. So thank you, Lord, for this time. Prepare us now for Sabbath school and for church and, and um, for the rest of ECYC, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and we thank you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.